Um, a lot of people say I'm, I just was never comfortable in my own skin. I hear that so much. This is the only thing that made me feel like I was normal. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Hey everybody, here with Shane Reiner today, and I'm uh, really excited about this because this is, uh, uh, you have started a an addiction series, it's called the Addiction Series, uh, which is a video series highlighting people that have uh, gone through addiction and ultimately come out on the other side, um, but what started as a, a little idea has spawned into a global phenomenon, so uh, first of all, I want to thank you for, for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, so interesting uh, and really cool is the fact that you are not in recovery yourself. No, definitely not. Um, I've got Crohn's disease, so I'm allergic to smoke, alcohol, uh, spicy food, dairy, wheat. So I'm the last person you'd expect to be doing this. Right, which I think is such a, a cool part of this. Um, and we're going to get into everything about the series and the success and um, what kind of got you there. But I first want to go back and just get some life background and, and ultimately what got you what to what you're doing today. Okay. Uh, I grew up in uh, Claremont County uh, in the Amelia area. From there, uh, I've never left Claremont County. <laughs> That's my home. Uh, I love it there. I live in Bethel right now, a little tiny town of 2,000 people. Which are communities right around Cincinnati, in and yeah, around yeah, Cincinnati Yeah, we're, we're out there. We're not far from right. from here, maybe 40-minute drive from here. Uh, and you know, got into video production after I got out of high school. I was working, and I was really interested, actually, the Blair Witch Project and Dawson's Creek, two two. Totally different things. I saw Blair um, Witch in drew, the movie drew me theater. in. I was like, I watched Blair Witch, and I was like, I could do that. I could totally do that. And so then, that was your that was your initial spark into being interested in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, I could totally do something like that. That was easy, you know. And and just the effect that it had, you know, if you had a really good imagination, that that movie messed with it. If you didn't, you were really angry when you left there. And I got a lot out of that, and I started buying equipment and trying to figure things out on my own. We didn't have YouTube back then, so I'm trying to buy equipment. Equipment was crazy expensive. Trying to buy DVDs so I can see, you know, how to edit and how this works. And from there, I started volunteering at my church, and they had like a $300,000 studio. So I got my hands on some really nice equipment right away, and I got that experience from there. I went to the, uh, now they are Ohio Media School. It was the Ohio Center for Broadcasting. I went there not thinking that I knew anything. I ended up teaching some of my classes, so I knew a little more than I thought. Uh, finished that out, and after I left there, uh, started working and volunteering at Anderson Community Television, which closed up its doors last year. The studio's not there. They're no longer serving Anderson Township. So I spent a lot of time shooting video for churches. I've shot documentaries on the Underground Railroad locally. Uh, the... Um, I interviewed a guy who was in the Negro Leagues, Nelson Mandela's photographer for the last 10 years of his life. I got to interview him, Holocaust survivors. So I've always been searching for that story. And then the addiction series just kind of came together. What sparked an interest in addiction? I mean, was there people that you knew or like what made you think of that subject? 
I'm not a big news watcher, but my mom is always watching the news. So come over with the kids on a Wednesday and she's usually watching the news and I'm seeing all these people are ODing, they're dying, they're stealing all these terrible things. It's like, somebody's got to be getting better. There's got to be somebody out there. So I said to my wife, you know, I'm thinking about doing something on this. And she said, okay, let's pray about it. So we pray about it. And I said, do you know anybody? I didn't know where to start. And she said, actually, I interviewed a guy uh, for, she was working at the Inquirer at the time. And he said he would do it. It took a little bit of time. He came into the studio on one of the off days. And we talked for about two hours before he got him in the chair. He was not uh, real comfortable at first, but I got him comfortable. And he sits down, he starts telling a story. And at first I'm like, man, this guy, the things he did, oh, this guy's terrible. Why did I let this guy in here? And uh, by the end, I'm almost crying. I'm like, hold it together. You're going to ruin this video. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And I thought if it had that effect on me, somebody who's not battled this, who doesn't have this in his family, in his circle, how much more is it going to affect somebody who's been through this? So uh, John gives the okay. I always make sure everybody watches it before it gets out there. And then I moderate the comments because we know the internet can be a very Trolls, hateful place. Right, no yeah. Doubt. So we put his out there and it just, it takes off. Did you have an idea of what you were going to do or did you just bring this guy in and say, I'm a put him in a chair and just, just let go. him tell. Yeah. yeah. Just let him tell a story. I had three cameras set up for that one. My camera setup has changed over time, but that one was the setup and he's just talking to the camera. So you feel like you're having that conversation with him. Black backdrop, he's in a chair. And there's no interview. They just go. They just go. Okay. I just say you don't talk at all. No. Okay. Not at all. They say, uh, well, where do I start? You start with your name. You don't have to say your full name if you don't want to do that. I'm not trying to do something where somebody Googles you and you can't get a job down the road mm-hmm. or somebody's going to date you and they're like, oh, I saw this. Now I can't talk to this person. So whatever they're comfortable sharing. And a lot of the people say, you know, I'm telling you stuff that I haven't told my mom, my brother, my sister, my friend. And I said, are you sure you want to do this? This is up to you. I don't force anybody. I'm not trying to get anything out of them. They know their story better than anybody, and I don't interrupt. The only time I'll cut anything out is if they said, okay, I need a minute, I need to take a drink, or I think I got this date wrong or this place wrong, or maybe maybe I shouldn't have mentioned this place. Let's cut that out. And I'm like, okay. But for the most part, it's just them going straight into the camera, telling their story right off the top of their head. I learned that that would work really well when I interviewed people who had been Holocaust survivors. Stuff. If I inter- If I interrupted at all, it would just throw off their train of thought. And I was like, okay, some of these people have done some serious damage to their mind, their brain, their memories. If I throw them off at all, they're not going to be able to get back on that train. Just let them, let them roll. Let's, let's roll. Yeah. Where did you start doing it? Uh, we were shooting in the Anderson Center where the TV station was. Uh, it's off a of five mile. <clears throat> Shot there until the station closed up shop and quit broadcasting. Uh, a little over a year ago now and from there i was like okay how am i going to do this what's the next step and i'm just praying about because i didn't have any equipment anymore and so i'm just like god if you want me to do this you're going to have to provide some equipment somebody walked in three days later with a thousand dollar check and said god told me to give you this and you need to get this equipment really and i was like are you serious i, I think i must add, are sure are you sure a hundred times before i cash that check because that's never happened to me and I did that and uh, got got a camera, got some lenses, and that was just enough to get started. I had a lavalier microphone, and so from there I started going, making house calls and doing these, which is scary because you don't know these people. 
I'm traveling all over the tri-state trying to talk to people, go to their houses, set up, try to make it look similar to what I'd been doing and did that. And then at the end of last year, the Hope Center in Amelia said, hey, why don't you come here and start using our place? And I said, that'd be fantastic. I would love to do that. And I've been shooting there for three or four months now. They let you do, do it another for free? One. Yeah, they let me use the place for free. They Amazing. really wanted to help me. Yeah. They uh, didn't want anything in return. I said, let me at least tell people that you exist, you know, and what you do. And they said, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And did a fundraiser at the end of the year. I, I was nervous about doing it because I'd not been successful before. And I was trying to explain to people why. We started doing these things called a night of hope where we show two of the recovery stories on the big screen and those people are actually there in the movie theater in the audience. So if anybody wants to engage with them, maybe they've got a son, a daughter, a neighbor, somebody who's struggling, they can talk with them. They can talk to somebody who's been through it already and came out on the other side. So I said, I need something a little bit better to get on that screen. Not just YouTube, not just on public access TV. How can I take it there? And I was able to raise some money. I have people, most of the people are people I never even met before, uh, donating. I was able to get equipment at a ProCam in the Amelia Withensville area. They said, we'll do it all at cost. I said, are you serious? You really want to do Oh, we believe in what you're doing. Absolutely. So I was able to do that and make some nice upgrades there. So now we've got a cinema camera. Got a really nice road boom. Uh, we've got the lights, the backdrop, tripod, you name it. It's all there now, and it's ready to go. Unbelievable. So this started when? January 31st, 2016 is when the first video went live. So it's been four years now. And once that first video went live, you said it took off. What did you do for that to happen? Or was it? did it kind of just... It took off on its own. That's the way the whole entire series is gone. I know there's a lot of other people doing this type of stuff, and they said, what do you do? We're, we're spending a fortune to promote ourselves. I said, I've never had to do that. I've never had to do that. And, and most of these people will just come to me. I mean, one of the biggest breakthroughs I had, I had a guy I sent a message to like on Facebook. It was like a year ago. He had a recovery group because I was trying to get a hold of people in recovery groups and try to partner up. Okay, you guys can use this. you know. And, and he says, hey, I got a guy coming. Uh, his name's Brandon Novak. You ever heard of him? And I was like, I'm I'm kind of familiar. And he was like, he was on Viva La Bam, Jackass. And I was like, yeah, yeah he's coming. Uh, you know, I think he'll do it. I said, okay, yeah, all right. You know, not thinking it was really going to happen because I get all kinds of people over the years saying, oh, I got this person, I got right. that person, and I never hear from him again. Mm -hmm. So I wait an entire day, the day they say they're coming, and nothing happens. I drive home 45 minutes. On the driveway, hey, we're on our way. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I go in and tell my wife, hey, I'm going to use the bathroom. Now I got to go right back down. Here, here's this guy. So he comes in and he's kind of quiet. And he's got a coffee. It's obvious he's got a little bit of a cold. He was going to speak at an event in Middletown. And uh, he said, hey, how you doing? And I was trying to find a spark to get him to kind of ignite a little bit because he felt like he it seemed like he was a little tired. Oh, well, how's, how's your friend Bam doing? And then he lit up, and I was like, okay, that's what we need. He sits in the chair, and he says, where do you want me to look? And he kills it for an hour, for an hour. And so I immediately go to work on that the very next day. And he says, hey, make sure my person gets it, his uh, personal assistant. And I said, I'm going to put that out there. I don't make any money. I'm not monetizing any of this. 
And he's like, okay, that's cool. And I'm going to put my number out there. I was like, all right. And so within three days, he said, I've got more phone calls from that than anything I've ever done in my entire life. And Brandon Novak, for those who might not be familiar, is like, like Shane said on uh, Viva La Bam and Jackass, but very a very big person in recovery with a huge reach and has become in very high demand and, and uh, very well known for this. So that was that's a big one. And yeah. for him to say that, I mean, think about, you know, talk about somebody who's booked doing this stuff. I mean, that's huge. Oh, and he's like, all right, you know, I've written a New York Times bestseller book. I was a pro skater and all this. And he's like, and this is the one thing that got more attention. He had to change his phone number three or four times because he said it was ringing 24-7. He said, I couldn't sleep because I tried to keep up with it and he just couldn't. He said, I, at some point I had to get some rest. And uh, that one got picked up. Uh, we had a local writer, Sheila Vilvins, at the Enquirer. Um, she wrote the story, and then it got picked up by U USA Today. And that was a big step for the series. It's like, okay, this is serious. Right. This is real serious. This isn't just going to be a local thing. This is going to go real far. Do you keep in touch with him? He is a hard person to get in touch with. I'm sure. He, uh, he has a lot of people managing his social media, his email. His number's changing a lot. I've tried to reach out to him to maybe put together another event with him here, or he wanted to do a an update, and we haven't been able to work that out with his when schedule. Did, when did his go? When did, when did you do his? I want to say it'll be three years in September. Okay, so early on. Yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the early ones, and his video's going to hit 1.2 million probably by the end of today. That's That's unbelievable to me. The series itself is at... Right at that two million mark, it took three years, almost three and a half years to get to that first million. And then the last Ten, six months, it's gone another million. Yeah. Plus. Yeah. Crazy. And, and what do you attribute growing. that to? Just There's just a lot evolution? of people sharing it. A lot of people sharing it. It's like this week, I, I do a search every once in a while to see, okay, where's the hottest spot for it right now? And they're promoting it in Iran like crazy this week. And I'm like, are you serious? You know, the they don't speak English. There's no subtitles. I don't know anybody who can subtitle it in that language. And they're seeking that out and they're pushing it. I had somebody reach out from me early on saying, I really appreciate this. We can't talk about this in Iran. And I was like, wow, I never thought of that. Because here we're so free to talk about just about right. anything. But this is so held back in so many places Stigma in the world. globally. Big time, big yeah. time. We don't want to talk about it. We're going to sweep it under the rug. It doesn't exist. So you talk about subtitles. How do they listen? Do they have to know English? They'll have to know English. Okay. I don't think there's any other way for them. I mean, they might be able to use like maybe an app to translate it. Because you're like 200 plus countries, right? 217. I didn't even know there were that many countries. Like <laughs> the YouTube analytics said that. And I was like, if you would have told me there were that many countries, I didn't even know that. I thought I was just going to hit English speaking countries like my top ones or... USA, Canada, UK, Ireland, and Australia. But then after that, you get Iran, Iraq, uh, Belgium, a lot of places that I'll probably never go, but the series is able to go there through YouTube. And then the great thing about that is, you know, it doesn't cost anything to put that on YouTube. If we would have been doing this 15, 20 years ago, I would have had to pay a TV station and we would have had to get all these broadcast things lined up and it would have been a giant, you know, undertaking that would have probably taken years to even get off the ground. But with the beauty of YouTube and now that we've got, you know, you can go really long in length 
they all go on there. There's always people waiting. I get somebody who contacts me all the time. Hey, do you have any more? And I was like, there's 81 of them. Yeah, I've watched them all. <laughs> so I'm trying. I'm trying. It's not always easy to get people to do that. I think a lot of people, they maybe they relapse. Maybe they're uncomfortable. They thought about it, and then they're like, well, what are my friends going to think? What will my family think if I put this out there? And they back off. Sometimes they reconnect. Most of the time they don't, and I think... It's just not something that they're comfortable with. And that's all right. I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable in that chair, uh, no matter where it is, because, you know, it's about them being comfortable and putting that out there. And they might have people find them through Facebook or YouTube that want to talk with them. And they have such a similar story. That person is going to be the person to help them get clean. Right. Um, Now, you said, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but you had just as many done as people kind of fell off. Now, would you say that, do they give you reasons? Is it mainly because I just can't do it? Most of the time, they just drop off. Yeah, It's like their Facebook account will shut down. Oh, okay. So they go dark completely. Maybe they relapsed. Maybe they felt some pressure with that. And I don't know. They don't always tell me. Sometimes it'll be a year later and I'm like, here's what happened. You know, I got sick or... You know, my neighbor relapsed when my dad died, and I just had to take some time to deal with that. But for the most part, I don't hear from them again. They may watch, and I can track that they're watching. You know, they'll comment on some of the videos, but they just don't reach back out about sharing their story again. And that's, it's frustrating because when you're one person trying to manage that, you're working full time, you got a family, and you're like, well, now what do I do? I try to squeeze somebody else in last second, and it's, so do you have a lot to drop off like right before last year couple was, days or day of or anything like that? I have a lot day of where they'll be like, okay, I get called into work. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And we usually will reschedule you, if you get that. realize how hard this is. Puts you in a jam. That's it. It's like, all right, you know, I've only got two days off a week. I volunteer at my church on Sunday and Wednesday's the other day off. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to squeeze these in on a Wednesday. Or if I do it on a Saturday morning, that means I'm going on two or three hours of sleep after I got off of work to try to shoot this thing and they don't realize, okay, that's a lot of time. That's a big sacrifice. And I try not to beat people over the head with that, but I just want people to know, you know, this is, it's a lot. I mean, it's almost like it's beyond a full-time job because people are contacting me from all over the world, probably 17 to 30 people every day between text, email, Facebook, um, you know, you name it. Any way they can contact you, they'll call. They'll call and leave a voicemail. And that's just... It's unbelievable to me that the audience is that big and that they're that anxious to get in touch. Right. Have, now, have you had people that have dropped off and then a year later they'll say, okay, I'm ready? I had one guy do that and then he dropped off again. <laughs> He's the only one who who came back a year later and, and did that. And I don't know what's going on with him. Um, you know, I hope he's doing all right. I don't know for sure because he's... He really dropped off. Well, I mean, the old story, you hear that, you know, you can't unring a bell. Yeah. You know, people go on and, you know, they're on the biggest stage that there is and they're going to drop all this. Like you say, some people have never told, you know, details of what they're telling you to family members. So I can see that that's pressure for a lot of people. And a lot of people are, they're early on in their recovery. They're still dealing with blame and shame and guilt and so that makes sense to me. But with that being said, the numbers are still crazy. Yeah. Yeah, there's 81 total out there in the series. There are uh, 
I've had maybe, I want to say 40 people cancel. Most of them were last year. The first year, the second year, not bad at all. Um, it was really last year, and I was trying to push through and probably trying to do too many. I was looking at, okay, you know, Dope Sick Nation's coming out. This is coming out. It's like, I need to do more. And I thought, that's actually was counterproductive to me because it felt like it was, it was, I was pushing it too hard and it wasn't what it was supposed to be. I mean, I was just trying to bang down every door I could and and really almost push it through like it's a job, like you're trying to achieve something. And I thought, that's not the way it worked in the past and it didn't work out real good. I, I was burning out big time at the end of last year where I said, okay, I need to take a few months off and tried to do that. And then everybody wanted me on, hey, can you be on this TV show? Can you be on the radio? Hey, can you call into this place in Atlanta? Can you... I got a doctor out in California. Hey, can you can you be on my YouTube live? And I'm like, okay, I may not be so shooting. It's flopping. Yeah, they people want you now. As, as, I was as like, as all right, to... you know. Whoa, I was like, I, I don't I don't put, see myself as that interesting. I like I love the series and what it does. It's amazing. It's not about me. It's about those people sharing their stories because I can't do it if people don't want to share. There's there's no me. There's no series. There's no reason for people to even know what's going on uh in my life but now it's like <laughs> there's people everywhere <laughs> hey you know can you come to this event can you talk at this event can you come here and most of the time i got to say no because i'm working and uh, i just try to do the best i can to give these people an opportunity to speak where i'm not gonna chop it up real crazy i'm not gonna take away some of that realness because i had i had music on the first two and people felt like they were being manipulated. So I said, never again will I put music on. It's just them, the microphone, the camera, that's it. Now explain that to me. I don't get it. They felt like the music was manipulating them emotionally. And we know that a lot of people in recovery were manipulators. And I think to some degree that was affecting them. And it was kind of an emotional type music to kind of draw you in a little okay. bit. And I'm like, okay. I get that. We're going to strip this thing way back and we're just going to make this like really raw. I, I'd like for you guys to keep it PG-13 because I don't know who's going to share this and how it's going to be used. But, you know, there's some people they just can't. That's just, that's how they are. Right. You know, I've had people say, hey, I really want you to tell my story and you're the only person I trust. I've never met these people. I've had people come from Texas, that New are York, coming here. Florida. And I'm like, are you serious? You really want to do that? You, you're going to come all this way? I mean, a lot of those people, they'll call. I've had people call in from 15 different states. Somebody calling from Canada, and she paid $9 a minute to make that phone call. And I had somebody calling from Nigeria. We were able to help that make that happen through Skype. The first time, the connection wasn't good. We had to cancel and move it another day because the internet was real sketchy where he was at. So we had to find somewhere where he could get a good signal. And I never thought about that because we take it for granted. We got usually pretty good internet connections and speeds. So he said, I got to share. I got to share through you. And I was like, are you serious? And then, you know, I get this doctor, Dr. B. He's got a YouTube channel and he's out in California. He teaches on recovery and he says, you got to be on my show. I'm a huge fan. I said, okay, let's do that. Does he have a podcast? He, he's it? just doing it on YouTube right okay. now. And uh, Dr. B was just great. I mean, we tried to do it once. And for some reason, my audio didn't come through. So we did it a second time. And then he recorded a video. I had a few questions and he sent his in. I've had a few people send them in. Somebody from Texas sent one in. 
And that was really cool. And he said, I use this with my students. We use it in the college. We use it in the classroom. I use it with my colleagues. And then I got people saying, hey, saw your stuff while I was in prison. I was like, what? They're showing this in prison? Hey, we're showing it out of school. This is being shown here. And I was like, no way. No way. I mean, you can track the analytics through YouTube, but you can't track how many people are sitting in an audience in an auditorium or in jail. Absolutely. Compounded. I mean, think about that. I can see... I can see this becoming part of curriculums and especially in prison and jails and, you know, um, for something that's so simple, you know, it doesn't have to be sexy. No. You know, people want no, content. I went counterculture. Yeah. I went total counterculture. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, you need a host. You need all these flashy graphics and all that. And I said, I don't think so. And and look what it's look what's happened just, just on its own. People said, oh, I can't be that long. I won't watch more than 15 minutes. Well, 45 minutes is more than norm. I've had people go over two hours and they watch it all the way through. Now, do you just go, you just let them go? I just let them go. If if it's going to be an hour and 45, it is what it is. You don't have any, as you've gone along, you haven't found a sweet spot or tell people it can't go past X? No, no. People want every little detail. There might be something in there that is something they can relate to. On the first video, the guy said he pawned his mom's wedding ring twice in a week. And I thought, nobody's going to be able to relate to that. And sure enough, that was one of the first comments I got. I did the same thing. And I was like, okay, you can't. You're going to take one little detail out, and it's going to be something that somebody needs, and it's going to mess up the whole thing because you did that. People want that authenticity. Right. And they really want to see that these people are real people, that these people, you know, have families. They had issues in families. They Maybe they got hurt, and that's how they got started. And, Different things it's human that they interest. Can relate I mean, to. it's, and I think it's human nature that people want to hear where how low people went. It, I mean, it, it's entertaining, especially for people that may have not gone through it. But then you're thinking, wow, they you know pawn their mother's wedding ring twice, and they go, but then they come back, and they're able to you know crawl through the muck and the, uh, the that lifestyle and get back into uh, recovery. Now, do you have them? There's no rules. No. So you don't say you've got to, I mean, I want to spend equal amounts of time on the recovery versus the addiction. No, you just tell your story. And I said, a lot of them are like, well, where do I start? I said, just start with your name. And that's usually enough to get them going almost every single time. I had some people that have only gone five minutes and I I think they probably would like to redo those. But then I've got some people, I said, okay, you went two and a half hours. That's like sitting in a movie theater. It may not be real easy for somebody to sit that long and watch that. And the neat thing about YouTube now is you can see it on TV, you got it on phones. And I'm surprised to see like last year, I think 88% of my views were on a phone. And I'm like, they held their phone for that long? Do they not like kill their batter? Is their hand not like cramped in a claw forever because they did that? And I thought that's really cool because when you see a lot of people in addiction and recovery, no matter what, they still seem to be able to get their hands on a phone. Right. And I thought, okay, what if somebody's on the street and they're watching that? Or they went into a library and they got to see that and how that can uh, change their lives just that quick. And you and I were talking a little bit before there's... I moderate all the comments. I feel like these people were brave enough to share some of the worst things that happened in their life. And we know there's trolls all over the internet. So I got to be careful. 
I say I deleted 14,000 comments about these people should just die last year. Okay, so what what percentage, and this is just loose numbers, would you say are negative versus positive? 10%. 10%. It's very low. It's very low. I mean, there's sometimes there's somebody calling them out saying, well, you know, you shouldn't have done this to your family or something like that. Not terrible. It's not like, hey, I hate all addicts. You guys should just die and the world so, would be so a better place. So you do leave some challenging Probably like, well, well, why did you do this? And sometimes the person will respond. I said, hey, you're welcome to do that. I'm not trying to have a hate fest. If I see right. it getting heated, I'm like, all right, I'm squashing this right away. That's not what it's here for. And I've had to, I had to remove all comments on one or two of them, I think. Maybe just one because it was getting that way. And I'm like, all right, we're not doing this. I didn't put this up here to do this. If you guys want to have a discussion... Now, do you say that? Place to do, do that do you, as the moderator and the and the host and the creator? Do you... I will do that privately on occasion. Okay. Um, and I've only got into it really bad with one person. Somebody stole some of the videos and they were monetizing them on their channel. So at first, I just commented like, "Oh, these look familiar." I gave you your out. You didn't. You didn't get the clue. All right. Uh, hey, you really need to take this down. You know, I'm not even making money on this. All right, you still didn't get the clue. Now I'm going to report to YouTube. And then the guy just lost it. He's like, how immature, you know, you're you're trying to make me lose my channel. I was like, well, you stole from me. <laughs> Who's the mature one here, you know? Right. I gave you chances by just making these little slight comments, hoping you would get the hint, and you didn't, you know? So I got to be careful about that. I got to be careful about who I partner with. I started praying about partnerships about a year and a half ago, and a lot of people want their name on it because, okay, it's getting a lot of press. There's a big following. And I had somebody reach out. She called me from Alabama and told her story. And she said, hey, I talked to your partner. I said, I don't have a partner. What are you, well, this guy, I was like, no, no. He got me three people to put in the series and then he disappeared. He quit returning my calls. Oh, he said he was your partner. So I got to be really careful about that because I really spend a lot of time listening to these people, talking with these people. I get invited to probably join a thousand recovery groups on Facebook a week. I've started telling me no more invites. I just can't. I don't have the time. I couldn't engage with all those people. I couldn't engage with all those groups and do, do it justice. So I've had to pull way back because everybody wants me to join their group. They want to friend me and, hey, you know, why don't we do, you know, this so I can get some press on this. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to shrink it back down. My group, my circle is going to be a lot smaller. I got to be careful. There are rehab and recovery places that would love to stamp their name all over this. I'm sure. And um, kind of take it over to some extent. Right. It's Which not, is good for you. I mean, it's not like you're just, you put a camera in front of somebody and you let them talk. I mean, you're there the whole time. Oh, you know, down. I mean, I'm sitting right there. And then there. What's, a, what's an edit? What's a typical, if you got an hour episode, I mean, how long does it take you to? I'd say a minimum three hours because yeah, you got to transfer the files over and then you've got to do magic. the upload. And I mean, I've got it down to pretty good science, but you know, you've got to be careful. I mean, we see, I've interviewed somebody and they talked about the body brokering in Florida. And I was like, that's the first time I've covered that subject. I've covered human trafficking on a different series, but they're tying together a lot. I've talked with some undercover police officers and we've talked about some of this stuff. I've, gone down uh, downtown in Cincinnati and talked with some of the homeless they're battling addiction I mean this is there's so many facets to it I'm just giving these people a chance to do their recovery story 
But if I really want to dive deeper, I can go a whole lot deeper and do a lot more. I've had people saying, hey, can we get some reenactments? This, one, I got to find the time. Two, I got to find the actors. Like? So we'd probably get them telling their story. And then you got to get actors to reenact parts of it. And then I got to get music. Oh. You're yeah, setting up wow. lights. You're getting locations. You're probably paying for locations. And I yeah, said, "That's a game changer there. That's movies." Yeah, I said, "I don't know if I want to go all the way down that hole yet." I said, "That's scary to me," because a lot of people say we like you because you're not Hollywood. And I said, "I want to continue to not be Hollywood." Um, tried to send some pitches out last year, last April. Reached out to some big, big production companies and some uh, TV stations that do this type of stuff. And they said, oh, we'd love to work with you if you've got people using in your videos. And I said, no way. That's not who I am. That's not what I want. To be honest, my audience might be larger online than it could be on one of those TV stations. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Sure, they'd put some money in my pocket, but I don't think that's worth it if I'm going to cause somebody to relapse. They've been following me all the way through the addiction series. They go and tune into this show. They see somebody shooting up and then they go and relapse so they die. I would never want that on my conscience. I would never want to go down that road. This is talking about getting clean, staying clean. And, and I've had some people, they've relapsed, and then they come back once a year. I've only got one guy who comes back every year. And he says, hey. For an update? Yeah. Story? Yeah. And I love that he does that. And he'll even tell me, hey, I'm struggling right now. I'm going to check myself in somewhere for maybe 90 days. I just wanted to let you know. And um, I'll let you know when I get out and we'll talk. You know, whether he wants to share or not, we have that relationship now where we can just talk. If he's got to let some things out that he's not telling anybody else, go ahead. I'm not a counselor. And I have some people call me thinking I'm a counselor. I'm not. I'll listen to you, but I don't have the answer. Uh, these people telling their stories, I'd rather defer to them every time because they went through it. I, I, can, I can give you the links to that, but I don't have the answers because I haven't gone through it. So I try to be very careful about that. I, I'm not a specialist of any kind. I'm a filmmaker at heart, and that's that's what this is all about. Right. Um, so have you had these cops on, or have you had other people on to talk about different aspects of it, or is it up to this point strictly recovery stories? I had um, I had Tom signing on fairly early. Uh, working in Anderson Township, I was familiar with Tom because Tom's just down the road from where the station was, maybe a five-minute drive. So I went down there and uh, interviewed him before things really got big for him. Uh, I've interviewed people, uh, Charlotte Wethington, who's got Casey's Law named after her son down in uh, down in Kentucky. I've inter I interviewed a mom. It was pretty fresh that her son had died, and she came in there and she she really wanted to tell it. She really wanted to tell that story and. She's falling apart off camera. I'm, I'm trying to hold her and discomfort her. And I said, you don't have to do it. No, I got to get this out there. I got to get this out there. It's amazing. Um, I've had, uh, I went to Kenton County's jails when they were starting a new program there. I, I covered a decent amount. I had a group of five or six people who had lost loved ones. One of them had lost two of his sons back to back years. Um, and those are really hard. Yeah. The, the air is just real still in the room when you're having those conversations. Think about the and I had a, I had Tom on who's a beast, mm -hmm. um, and a, a husband and wife that lost a son. But the strength it takes for them to do that, and like you say, you know there could be a million reasons why they would want to back out, but they do it. 
and it's powerful for people. And you know, somebody on that side cares. And that was the nice thing about doing the thing with the doctor. They said, you know, I've met a lot of doctors, but none of them care like he did. And I never, I didn't think about it at all when I was doing that, but it was really important. And, you know, I've, I've talked to people. There was one guy, I think he had 40 years of sobriety and he called, he had just moved to California. He was originally from Hawaii and talking about that. I was like, okay, that's the longest sobriety run I've ever heard. So I was like, okay, I got to get that. And he reached out to me. And, you know, there's so many things, the undercover police officers usually can't, they can't do anything, but they will point me in a direction if I'm looking for something. And that's been interesting, building those types of relationships. Because you're broadening, I know you're not looking for popularity or anything like that, but you're broadening your audience with doing parents and doing different subjects, you know, so... uh, There's there's many layers to this. I mean, so much more than just somebody got clean somebody had these struggles. I mean, you can talk about family issues that came up. You could talk about physical injuries that came up. Um, a lot of people say, I'm, I just was never comfortable in my own skin. I hear that so much. This is the only thing that made me feel like I was normal. And It's therapeutic for people. Yeah. You know, I, I usually ask people, I was like, oh, how do you feel? Lighter, lighter. That's what they say almost every single time. And you, you, you see a transformation during the course of this. They come in and you see the pain. You see them reliving those terrible things. And I, I also get this with Vietnam vets that I've interviewed and stuff. Same look. They're not there. They're looking that way, but they're not there. They're where that was going on. And then by the end of it, they're smiling. They're making jokes. They're laughing. I said, I get to see that physical transformation every time. Do you have a lot of people, will they tell you that that's the first time they've ever shared? Oh, without a doubt. I'd say probably 60, 70% easy. Really? They say, you know, I, I may have done it in NA or AA, but never done anything publicly. And that's really cool. And and I'll get I'll get requests from time to time. I had uh, some people working with uh, veterans and they said, can you get a veteran on there? I said, I'm trying. I promise you I'm trying. They said, we use your stuff in our, in our rehab facility. We only work with veterans. And we'd really love to see you. And I said, if you know of any, let me know. Because veterans are, that's you a really one? tough nut to crack. I have not been able to do that. That is really hard. They are, they're in a very firm shell. Uh, the Vietnam vets that I interviewed, I, I'd had to stop. And I said, whoa, 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 let's just stop. I could tell you're not here and you're really having a moment here. Let's just back off. Okay, we'll just, we'll just shorten this thing up. I don't want to do that. Holocaust survivors are a lot better to be able to keep going but people who have seen combat, very different. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do anything to make them relive that. And I felt so bad from the Vietnam vets. I just saw the looks on their faces. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't, we can't go that way. And some of them, they would talk to me off camera. We could talk all day. They thought I was a soldier. I said, no, no, no. I'm medically disqualified. I never served. But I say a lot of the sirs and ma'ams and different things. And they're like, oh, you... You had to serve somewhere. I was like, no, 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 that's just who I am. Oh, you can tell me. I was like, no, 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 I'm, I, mean, I mean it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a story collector. I got to interview a guy who, uh, who played in the Negro Leagues and the Spanish Leagues, and almost nobody's going to know this. If you played in the Spanish Leagues, you got a wife whether you wanted her or not. He came back here, and he never saw her again. He had two kids. Just in order to play Spanish soccer? Spanish Baseball. Oh, baseball. 
back when the Negro Leagues and Spanish Leagues were gone. And I said, that's an amazing story. I got to cover the Underground Railroad here locally with the Freedom Center. And that opened up a door for me to interview. Uh, they, they called me up and said, hey, can you interview this guy? I was like, who is he? His name's Matthew Wellman. He was uh, Nelson Mandela's photographer the last 10 years of his life. And he stopped me as I'm interviewing him and said, you know, this is the best interview. Because he had all kind of press. And I was like, are you serious? I was like, wow. You know, we were the same age. So I thought he was way more experienced, way more polished than I could ever be. And he, it was nice to have that feeling but this feeling is so different doing this series. To, I mean, I got people tell me, you make me cry all the time. And and uh, at first I was like, oh, no, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do. But then I was like, you know, it's good for us to feel like that because we see so much terrible things now. And some of the shows are so violent. We're desensitized to so many things. To know that you can touch somebody that way is very powerful. And now I kind of relish those comments a little bit because – Somebody felt something so, and it's a real thing. It's not a fictional oh, thing. No, it's real. It sure. touched them in such a way that, you know, like, I'm a grown man and you're making me cry. And it was like, wow, you know, because men, didn't, we don't open up a lot like that. There's very few things that touch us that way anymore. And that just showed me how incredibly powerful this is. And I've got to keep going no matter how hard it gets. It may change, it may be a little bit different. We may change format up a little bit. There may be opportunities if we can talk to somebody. Maybe there's something break a breakthrough in like science or detox where it's like, okay, let's cover that. This is going to be important. This might help other detoxes use maybe it's a device. Maybe it's um, an herb or something like that that's natural where it's not so uh, so used by the pharmaceutical industry because I feel like, yeah. okay, you know, we got medically assisted <clears throat> treatment. And I love people with medically assisted treatment, but I hate that the pharmaceutical companies are getting money for that because a lot of them cause a lot of these issues and it should be free, in my opinion. Now, I know there's people out there who are like, oh, if you're diabetic, how come you can't get it for free and all these different things? And, you know, I, I'm not the one who regulates all that. I, I don't work in the medical industry at all. I understand where you're coming from. Why shouldn't chemo be free? You know, uh, it's all regulated by someone who's not me. Right. But I feel like since they cause so much of the problem, it makes sense that they would be able to do that. If we can find some alternatives that are not regulated by them, I think that would be wonderful if I could cover something like that. I've seen some interesting things like Runners. Uh, runners World did a really great article talk about people are getting that runner's high. And I know not everybody who goes through this, I mean, their bodies might be broken down pretty good. But when you see that and you know you can replace one high with another, like working out, and you see how you feel. Uh, Naturally. It, yeah, you can feel that way. And you can get better and your body can heal. I love seeing those stories. I know there was a guy in men's health. He's in Kentucky. They did an article on him and he won like a bodybuilding competition in recovery. And I thought, that's so amazing. We need to see a lot more stories like that. They're not as easy to find. And usually once they've done the big story, it's harder and harder to get in touch with them because they've had the big press on them all the time. So now it's like, I'm. they look at me like I'm just a little guy. Well, I already told my story. And I said, those stories need to get out there so somebody can make that change. We know a lot of people in recovery, their, their new addiction is going to become food. For a lot of people, they'll gain weight very quickly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, how can we transition them into a healthier lifestyle? So maybe they survived addiction and then the food got them. They end up having a heart problem. They end up having diabetes or they have some sort of complications from that. How can we transition and go in another direction to keep you healthy in a very positive way that's not going to hurt you? So, have you, and this is an audience I'm, I would, when I first thought about this, would love to touch. If you had people reach out and say, hey, I didn't believe in this. I was a let them fry type of guy or woman. And I thought this was a bunch of people making bad decisions. But watching your content, I've come around, started to come around. Do you get any of that? I do. I do. I get that. It'll be like, okay, I've got a sister-in-law. I've got a brother. I've got a cousin. I've got a son that's battling this. And now I understand. And because that's what it is. It's ignorance and I always preface that it's not a negative connotation. Yeah. People just don't. People that don't have never been through it, they just don't get it. And then, you know, you get smacked, smacked in the face with something like this and, and you realize there's something to it, you know. Absolutely. When I started the series, I got interviewed by the Claremont Sun, small newspaper, one of the oldest ones in the state. And I, I told him there's no throwaway people. And that's, I still believe that to this day, we don't throw them away. There's no just saying they'll never get better. We don't give up. Is it easy? Oh, no, no. I, I, I can't. I'm glad I'm not on the front lines to some extent, um, like City Gospel Mission, the Lord's Gym. They're, on the, they're out there on the streets. They're helping these people. And I thought, I don't know that I could be strong enough to do that all the time. And to see some of those people lose that battle, I don't know that I could do it. You know, I just recently started talking with both of them about doing something together. How can we help each other? Um, you see some wonderful stuff going on like uh, Maslow's Army, the two people, Susan and Sam Landis, they are in recovery. They help so many people get off the streets and they know what it's like. They were lived out there homeless too. So there's a lot of positive things going on. There's just not enough. Right. They'll and never you can't be, be everything to everybody. I mean, you're doing your part for millions of people. So there's many cogs in the wheel. And I've yeah. told, I've told my audiences at the night of hope events, it's like a million's not bad, but truthfully to reach all the people that need to be reached, we probably need to be looking at a billion. And it doesn't mean that the addiction series needs to do it. There's so many media sources out there that we need to be reaching even further. We got to hit that billion mark because there's so many people in the world that are, are they're afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to get help. They, they think nobody's as bad as me. And they can watch one of these videos or listen to a podcast or, or watch a documentary or whatever it is and say, okay, I can relate to them. If they did it, I can. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be pushing that stuff out more and more and more. Cincinnati, we are becoming a very saturated market for that. And Ohio is in general, but the, it needs to be as popping up people, everywhere. As far as people becoming open to it and supportive and creative content yeah i think we have so many more things than when i first started i didn't see anybody locally when i first started and i said now it's everywhere and it's needed there's a lot right. of people say hey i gotta listen to this or i gotta watch this every day and it keeps me clean yeah and we gotta you know yell loud enough to get the government involved that's you know, it i mean i know me. there was a significant amount of money set sure yeah and it's i know better. the state put something through too but it's it's never enough. It's a and bottomless pit. To pop, you know, Purdue got popped. You talk about you know they're giving back, being free medicine, but at least they're starting to get slammed yeah. for 
preying on people for 25 years. It, it definitely know? should have happened. And right. you see, I really wish that we didn't advertise so many medicines on TV oh. because now we're self-diagnosing ourselves. We're like, hey, I saw this on TV. It could help me. And you're asking your doctor. And maybe your doctor hasn't used that a whole lot, but because they're feeling pressured by you, they're going to give you that. And, you know, doctors are not like these, they're not real aggressive people. You know, they got that calm, relaxing demeanor and they're not going to want that conflict. I think for the most part, there may be some doctors out there that do, I don't know. Um, but you see that and we're being directed by that and we don't have, we don't know what we're doing. You know, we don't know what we're putting in our bodies. We're not scientists. We're not doctors. We're not chemists. You know, and, and we are becoming better educated about that, especially with all the addiction stuff now that's out there. People are way more aware, at least probably in our circles. But your general person probably doesn't have a clue what they're putting in their body and what damage and what problems it could cause down the road. Right. Okay. So where can people find you? They can find uh, the addiction series on youtube.com slash Shane 8109, or you can just do the search for the addiction series. There are... Uh, for five playlists, um, and they'll be able to find all the videos there. There's 81 videos in the series. You can also go to Facebook and search for the Addiction Series, and there's a page there where you'll find the videos as well. Okay, and we'll put all that stuff up too. Well, thank you. Thank you, A, for being here. Thank you for everything you do, and uh, what a thrill it, it, it must be for you and uh, helping people around, I mean, around the world. It's yeah. it's phenomenal. You you hope that you can do something like this with your life, and when you finally get to do it, it's you know I I say I save lives now because people actually call and they email and they text. You saved my life, and you think of people who save people's lives. Okay, am I a doctor? Am I in the military? Am I a firefighter? Am I a police officer? This is the only way I know how to do it, and I'm really thankful for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, continue it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com. <laughs>